Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And we're here today to talk about how we get ready. We decided it would be a good time to describe in detail the things we do before we work with clients. We're focusing on co-therapy because that's our uh, new development in how we love to do therapy, but it also applies to our individual practices as well. Right. And we have a listener letter. This letter is from Mary in Missouri, and it kind of helps us uh, launch into what we want to talk about today, which is getting ready. Um, Dear Deb and Tracy, I am a counselor new to private practice and would like some advice on how to prepare for challenging clients and sessions. I wonder how you mentally prepare for therapy sessions to get into a helpful mindset. I pray I have a little self-talk mantra, but I think there's probably more I can do to get myself ready to be fully present and calm. Good question. So do you want to start by describing, do you have specific things that, that you do every time? I do. And so, you know, you and I have talked about our our mornings getting ready for whatever it is we need to do. And I think we need to really back things up and talk about the whole morning, like from start to, to when we, from the time we wake up until the time that we're in the room with the client. I think that's a good idea. And we could even include uh, hopefully that we got enough rest and we got to bed early enough to wake up that morning feeling pretty good and ready to face the day. Yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking this is a whole lifestyle that we're talking about, right? Because we're talking about not too much alcohol <laughs> or or maybe no alcohol. And we're talking about the kinds of thoughts that we thought the night before that set us up to wake up feeling happy. Um, I mean, this is this is really about getting out ahead of it, so to speak. Right. And like this morning, I had road construction that started at 5.30 a.m., which they're not supposed to do, but... Outside uh, your house? Outside of my house. So, you know, there are also variables that are out of our control sometimes. That's true. Um, But yeah, this is, you know, I don't always do the best at nutrition and rest and things like that, but I can make up for those deficits to a great degree by doing the things that I do in the morning to get ready for the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it strikes me that you and I each have our own individual processes that we go through every day. But um, when we get together to do co-therapy, we have a joint preparation process that we do that we might want to talk about as well. Yes, I think we should add that in. Okay. And I like to, Mary sounds like she has good ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. the mantra, the prayer. Mm -hmm. What else did she have? A little self-talk. Yeah, a little self-talk. So 
Um, would you like to begin and describe your morning ritual routine or preparation? Yeah, yeah I I will. And and so when I was sitting down to think about this today, I decided there are at least four categories and and four categories of preparation that I do and also that you and I do together. Um, and those are first body mind, second creative, third relational, and four energetic. So with that in mind, and we'll kind of come back to that later. Um, I so so here's what I've been doing lately. I set an intention the night before to wake up early. And I am noticing that I can wake up about an hour, sometimes two hours before my alarm. If I set that intention and I'll get up and I'll think the first thing I think when I see the time and it's five o'clock or 430, I'll go, this is a gift. Get out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) So I love to start a day day that way. But um, yeah, so the first thing I do is. I have coffee and morning pages. Um, We are going through the artist's way again, and we're doing that in our men's group. And it's gotten me back into writing those morning pages. So Julia Cameron says, get out your notebook first thing, press the coffee button, put pen to paper and write three longhand pages every day. I got away from that for a number of years, actually. And it feels good to be back. Um, doing that again. So um, what does that look like? Well, I I kind of review the day. I write down a dream if I can remember it. Um, And then stuff just starts coming up. And so it's usually thoughts and feelings just randomly, um, things I'm worried about, anything and everything. And this morning, the pages sounded like why am I so sleepy? I woke up early. I was fine. Why am I suddenly so sleepy? I have nothing to say. So that's the first step for me. Um, then I have breakfast. Uh, then maybe if I'm feeling awake enough, I go ahead and do a seated meditation. And um, I'm following a, a variety of teachers on seated meditation, but Michael Singer is one of the teachers that I've listened to and have, um, he's, he's helped me to kind of develop a a routine that works for me. So if I'm too sleepy, when I sit down to meditate, you know, you have the thinking mind and you have the sinking mind. And so the sinking mind starts to take over. and, And if that's the case, then I will do some kind of movement before I sit to meditate just to kind of wake my body up. So maybe yoga, um, I like to do a little mat Pilates or maybe even walk. Um, and then finally, I have discovered that um, I need to do something creative first thing in the morning because one of my pet peeves is looking at my calendar <laughs> uh, and it's full and every hour is, you know, obligated. I'm obligated to something I have to do or someone I have to meet with. And uh, when I look at that, I feel a sense of panic and hopelessness. (laughs) (laughs) So I need to do something that is completely for me, that is just fun. Um, I, I like artfulness that's whimsical. I like to 
collage. I usually keep an art project out, at least one, at all times. Um, as you can see, I have I have them everywhere. Uh, so working on one of my one of my art projects, and that way I feel like I own the day. It's mine. It's not someone else's. I like that. Plus that creative act, you know, your practice is very creative. It's very spontaneous. It's very intuitive. It's very playful and humorous at times. So it makes perfect sense to start your day with creativity and let that momentum move you into your practice as opposed to the momentum of dread and <laughs> <laughs> overwhelm. Right. There's something about owning it that's really important to me. If I feel like I'm being carried away by someone else's agenda, I get really out of sorts. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a feeling of autonomy and mm -hmm. potency. Yeah. And I liked when you were talking about meditation, you know, a lot of people say to me that I'm not a good meditator. Who said that to you? Well, a lot of clients, because oh. a lot of clients come into, I'm a, I'm a decent meditator. Okay. But they, they describe themselves as not being very good at it. Ah. But movement can and often is uh, can be and often is a form of meditation absolutely yeah because movement with attention uses the main thing that uh, meditation uses and that's attention mm -hmm. so if you pay attention to what it feels like to move it is a meditation mm -hmm. so on those days when i need to move in order to wake up maybe that yoga is my meditation. Right. As long as you're using attention, you're getting the same benefit or close to the same benefit. And in my opinion, I think movement meditations for me are often better and just make me feel better and more energized afterwards. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I notice um, in my therapy sessions, if I'm a regular meditator, so if I keep on top of that, I notice that I'm more alert and I can feel my body more in session. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, the main information we're looking for, I believe, in our sessions is what we feel and then act on what we're feeling. Mm-hmm in the moment. So anything that increases that felt sense is good. Yeah, to really plug into it at the beginning of the day. And, and then even with the pages, it does feel like, okay, I'm reconnecting with me. I'm reconnecting with my thoughts, my feelings. There's something about that. It's like coming home. You know how you you use that phrase coming home to the body? Mm -hmm. It's something like that, but maybe it's coming home to my thoughts and feelings. Yeah, you've talked several times about how writing morning pages has really made you feel more creative mm -hmm. and given you more ideas than maybe you would have gotten 
Mm -hmm. uh, if you hadn't been doing them. Is that true? It's true. And it's maybe like it could be thought of as a giant fishnet. There's so many things swirling around in my mind at any given time. I can't catch them all. And I feel frustrated by that. Morning Pages helps me cast a net and and I'm able to capture more fish, so to speak, to to um, keep keep track of what's happening in my head. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. You're probably catching a lot of different species of fish <laughs> because when you free write like that, you can do a lot of non sequiturs and yes, just what might appear to be random thoughts. Yes. Yeah, I don't want anybody to ever read my morning pages. In fact, I've built um, a couple of bonfires, uh, <laughs> burning past mm -hmm. notebooks, because I don't want anybody to see that. It's not only is it personal stuff, but it's um, it's unedited. It's rough. It's just a stream of consciousness, sometimes without being properly punctuated. Sometimes you couldn't even read it, probably, because it's just so... It's so fast, and it's just coming out in a in a stream. Right. I think uh, I think Julia even talks in her book that she says that these aren't for other people; they're for mm -hmm. you. So mm -hmm. I, I almost have a notebook full. So my plan is, you know, burn it to burn it. Yeah. Because you're right; it's nothing I would ever want somebody else to read. Mm -hmm. But I have found it to be very helpful in unlocking new ideas. And yeah, a lot of the things I write about are because I write on my back porch mainly. So I'll write mm -hmm. about the weather and the birds and the flowers and mm -hmm. the rain. And which now that I think of it is a lot of descriptions of what I'm feeling or what uh -huh. I'm sensing. Yeah. So it is a, a good way to connect with me. Yes. Even if it seems like it's not all that important, like I'm just saying something obvious, like the sun is out today. It is what you are noticing. So it's deeply personal. Yes. Yes. So our morning pages, are they a part of your morning routine too? Yes. Although they are the one thing that gets jettisoned the first, <laughs> if I'm short on time. Okay. Because it does take me quite a while to write three pages. Uh -huh. And I have parts of my routine that I cannot, I could do without, but I don't want to do without. What is your morning routine? How do you get ready for all this? So as as we've gone through doing these podcasts, I've discovered more and more about myself. And recently, um, since we started doing morning pages, I realized that when I wake up in the morning, today was different because it was the sound of a lot of big trucks going by my mm -hmm. house. So it disrupted my my normal wake up routine but i discovered when i first wake up i'll either try to remember a dream or more commonly i will lie there and evaluate and assess 
how do I feel about myself today? Mm. How do you do that? Well, I just lie there and I can feel, because I have a history of being hard on myself or unkind to myself, mm. and I think that's common. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also, you know, after doing all this work to become more human and use more of my human potential, I, I'm able to differentiate diff different emotions. So when I wake up, I'll, I'll think, oh, I feel like I'm not liking myself as much as I would like to this morning. Hmm. Or I'll wake up and I'll think, oh, I feel really good about myself today. Okay. But it's highly variable. So there must be things going on in, in my sleeping state that affect how I feel about myself. Yeah. So that's the first thing you do is... is that's the this. first thing I do. I just lie there for a moment and I get a sense of how do I feel and how do I feel about myself today? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I like that. I It feels like as if it happens spontaneously, but I just noticed myself doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, a couple of days ago as we were preparing for this podcast. Okay, yeah. And you were thinking, what am I doing this morning? We're going to talk about right, yeah. preparation. Yeah. I thought, oh, hmm, I'm thinking about how I feel about myself. That's interesting. Yeah. So what do you do next? I, I make coffee. I talk to my cat and feed my cat because my cat's talking to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and socializing is one of the things that triggers the release of cortisol in the morning to give you more energy so socializing with your cat socializing with my cat i make a point to pet my cat talk to my cat because i know that release of cortisol will help me oh. be more energized for the day brilliant and also you know once i have my coffee and i fed my cat, I'll wander around my backyard. I have a beautiful backyard with a lot of plants and flowers. And uh, in Julia Cameron's book, there's a quote, I, I think it's in her book, uh, by the Buddha. And he talks about uh, contemplating a single flower. And I, I love, you know, connecting with nature, uh, grounding, earthing. Uh -huh to get my electrons and just feels good to put my feet on mother earth bare feet right you're walking around barefoot in your backyard i do and uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll walk around barefoot and then i'll put my hands and my feet on mother earth mm -hmm. and then sometimes i'll put my forehead on mother earth mm. and I, I love the smell of the grass and mm -hmm. the smell of the dirt and all of those things yeah so connecting with nature, that's a must, even if it's cold out and the weather's bad. It's very sensory, what you're saying. Right. It is. But I also feel, you know, 
one of the things I wanted to get across in today's podcast was a real description of how we work, how I work, mm -hmm. because it, it falls outside of a standardized model. Mm -hmm. Every session I do for a client, every session you do for a client, and I know this from experience, and every session we do together for a client is tailored for that client. Yes. In fact, you have said on more than one occasion, your session begins before you arrive and it continues after you leave. Right, right. And part of that beginning before you arrive is me making sure that I have what I need yeah. in order to feel good about working with a client. And so what are the kinds of things you're trying to determine that you need? Well, I, I'm lucky. I had a fantastic mentor. We talked about mentors in a, uh, a couple of episodes ago. Mm -hmm. My mentor, Stan Brown, he loved applied kinesiology and touch for health. So he used muscle testing and he taught me how to muscle test. And there are two different, we'll talk about that more later, but there are two different approaches to muscle testing. One is to get yeses and nos. One is to get true false answers. And one is to get test muscles that are associated with different organs or meridians or even chakras. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, in the past, when he taught me, I would use my client's arm. And then 10 years later, I figured out how to use my own arm. And then more recently, about a year ago, I discovered how to use my own finger. Okay. So I can get clear yeses and nos, so I know exactly what I need. Okay. So the next thing I do is I I figure out what incense I need. Okay. So I have my coffee. I've fed my cat. I've put my feet on Mother Earth. And then I need to know, okay, what incense do I need to burn to create a great image, um, uh, uh, energy within my house? Okay. So, so you're, you're doing a lot right there. You're, you're getting ready to prepare this space because you have a home office. Yes. And so you're getting ready to create the aesthetic or the sensory experience that you need to have in that space. And what helps you make decisions about that, like what incense to burn is this practice of muscle testing. Correct. And I try to pause before I muscle test so I can feel the answer mm -hmm. and then confirm it with a muscle test. Mm -hmm. It usually confirms it, but sometimes not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so you're, you're testing a muscle for a, for a yes or a no? Correct. Okay. And so I ask, uh, for example, I say, do I need one flavor of incense? Usually it's more than one. So if it comes up as two, I will say, is it, do both have uh, a stick in them? Because I use cones and other incense. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I narrow it down and I figure out exactly what flavors and how many. Uh -huh. And then through muscle testing, which rooms do I burn them in? Mm -hmm. And then I move on to the most important thing, which is my jewelry, my stones, my necklaces, mm -hmm. all of the things that I need to protect myself from other people's energy, but also to infuse myself with the frequencies and energies that I know will help me be a better practitioner with that client. Okay. There's a lot in that. And um, I'll, I'll tell you real quick that um, my introduction to the idea of muscle testing was back in the 70s or maybe early 80s when my dad went to a chiropractor who told him to put a vitamin pill between his front teeth and then he pressed on his arm and said something and asked a question and i think at the time it sounded like the most ludicrous thing i'd ever heard um so that you know that was that was my first thought about it getting to know you i have come kind of full circle and i have I have more of an appreciation, although I don't fully understand it. I have much more of an appreciation of what you're doing. So after the break, um, we're going to hear more from you about what's happening in this muscle testing. Right. I had the same experience. My first experience with this type of muscle testing, I, which was 20 years ago or so, 25, 30, I thought that makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I have no idea how that would ever work. And even the use of stones and jewelry within my practice. 10 years ago, I thought I would never do that. Yeah. But I have found over time and through my shamanic training and my training with Stan that muscle testing is the most helpful tool that I use in my practice. Yeah. Okay. So after the break, we will hear more about how to prepare for your day and more specifically about muscle testing. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you.
You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Check out all our other episodes on demand. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We are talking today about how we get ready. What do we do to prepare ourselves for a a day of seeing clients or maybe a particularly challenging session? And how do we also prepare for doing co-therapy? And so Tracy and I have been talking about um, preparation that we do every day that falls into the categories of body-mind preparation, creative preparation, relational preparation, which we'll have to talk more about, um, and energetic. And so the last thing we started to get to before the break was this idea of muscle testing, which is something I know that you do every day, multiple times a day, right? I do. I do it uh, from morning to night. So before I go before I go to bed at night, I always ask and get answers through muscle testing about what I need to do to end my day. Mm. And quite often it involves incense as well. Okay. Um I uh, I think, you know, a couple of years ago I realized my practice is what I describe as an E equals MC squared practice. Mm. Matter and energy are the same thing. Mm. So I use a lot of stones. I use a lot of incense. I use a lot of sage. And when I did my shamanic training about five years ago now, uh, the shaman I trained with, fantastic uh, Karen Duncan, she said the shamanic work will find its way into your practice. And I had no idea how, but it sure did Mm. gradually, organically over time. So this is part of it. Muscle testing is part of a shamanic practice. Well, it goes back to a video I watched on YouTube by Paul Check, who is a shaman. He's a world worker. And he, in that video, said one of the most important things you can know is what a yes feels like and what a no feels like. Mm -hmm. So after watching that video, he teaches you how to start that process. Uh So then I realized, yeah, I could feel it, but I could also do muscle testing for it. Muscle testing helps me get answers more quickly. Mm -hmm. So when I'm with a client, uh, I use muscle testing a lot. But like when we work together, we say your session begins before you arrive. Mm -hmm. And this is true of co-therapy or independent therapy. Once a client makes an appointment with me, I do muscle testing and I say, is it okay for me to get a head start? So I can get answers about clients before they arrive. And then I make notes and I can map out the beginning of a session. Yeah. So when they come in, I know where to begin. Yeah. So so what you're talking about is taking time prior to the session to ask yourself or ask the universe, can I get a head start, right? Right. Right. And so then you begin the muscle testing. So I've seen you do this many times, like I said, and and um 
and and I'm getting to have more of a sense of it, but can you describe just what do you do when you are testing your muscles? So I use my middle finger of my left hand pressing down on the index finger of my left hand. Uh, and I use uh, weakness as a yes and strength as a no, but that's up to the practitioner. Mm-hmm. You could reverse that. It's just you have to decide which answer is which and and stick with it. You could change it if you want, but I've stayed with that for a long time, even when I was using my client's arm as the indicator muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I believe I just tap into the universal information field. I think that's how Jung described it. So you're pressing down on your index finger with your middle finger and you're feeling for something. Yes. If if my index finger collapses, that's a yes. Okay. And when it stays and it doesn't move, that's for me a no. Okay. So then I can give very clear answers about what I need and what the client needs even before the client arrives. Yeah. And, you know, this is tapping into how distance works. How distance works? How distance work works. Oh. Like how my body talk practitioner was able to cure, heal my acid reflux. Uh Years ago, I was in Springfield. She was in Columbus, Ohio. Uh But this is the same idea. You can tap into people's energy. And this is how, say... um, a child gets injured and the mom, even though she's not there, she has this felt sense that something's wrong. So I think people like you, I've watched you work many times and you have this natural intuition that flows through you. Mm -hmm. As I was training for my career as a massage therapist, but really neuromuscular therapist and now, body psychotherapist, um, I was very cognitive. Okay. I thought I was going to solve these problems just using the power of my brain yeah. and thought. And that ended up being so far from the truth. It burned you out. Right. In a way, it was protective, but it, it, it feels mechanistic. Mm-hmm. Whereas each individual client needs what they need in that moment. They don't need a recipe uh-huh. or or something out of a textbook. Right. So, so I want to jump in here to say something to our listeners about what I guess many of them may be thinking or feeling in this moment as they're they're listening to you talk about this thing called muscle testing and you're you're pressing on one finger with another and you're trying to get a yes or a no or an answer to something and and it could sound about as logical as what that chiropractor did with my dad all those years ago that sounded so strange to my ears so completely nonsensical um so i guess first i want to say that when we're working in mental health, at least we've already accepted this new paradigm, but we may not be aware we have. 
like when you talk about intuition, you're kind of talking about the same thing, right? Right. Yeah. The muscle testing, I, I hope I can get away from it at some point and just feel yeses and nos. This feels right. This feels right. Ooh, that didn't feel right. Back up. This feels right. So you think sometime the, down the road, you won't be pressing on a finger to get, you'll just listen somehow to your, or you, you'll feel somehow what the right thing is. Right. That's the goal. It's just muscle testing makes what is seemingly very subjective. It makes it more objective. Okay. And I know a lot of people don't believe in it. And I thought it was, you know, fantastical when I first mm -hmm. heard about it, same as you. But if you use it a lot and you are very sensitive and pay attention, it is very useful and very reliable. Very useful and very reliable. And it's not just about yeses or nos, right? Right. So sometimes... For things like psychological reversal, you can use it as a true-false indicator. Like if I were pressing on your arm and you said, my name is Bob, your indicator muscle would go weak because name it's not Bob. your name's not Bob. Okay. But if you say, my name's Deborah, then it would test strong or mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, Dr. Goodhart and Dr. Jose Palomar mapped out a lot of organ and muscle connections. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to tie Western and Eastern philosophies of healing together. Uh -huh. But it's also a great way to track down dysfunction within your client. Yeah. Like if they have a lot of neck pain and they just went through something that, as you would say, they can't stomach. Mm -hmm. Well, all of your neck muscles are associated to your stomach. Mm -hmm. So then you would start thinking, well, what have you been through recently in your life that was hard to stomach? So it leads you, muscle testing leads you to the muscle that is dysfunctional, which leads you to the organ where there may be corrupted information being sent or received right or it might just the organ may reveal the emotion that's driving the whole pain complaint i mainly work with people who have physical pain but physical pain is almost always driven by emotional disruption or dysfunction or mm -hmm. emotions are a software problem i've come to see emotional and physical pain as the same the same phenomenon. They are the same phenomenon. Pain you know, is pain. Pain is pain. We've talked about social pain overlap theory, mm -hmm. spot, which should be called Spock, because it's social pain overlap knowledge. We know that yeah. physical and emotional pain is the same the thing. Same. Yeah. And that's why I want workshops that you and I teach in the future to really show mental health practitioners that they're not just helping people with emotional pain. They're helping people with physical pain, movement dysfunctions, mm -hmm. muscles that are weak or too strong. Mm -hmm. Emotions are at the core of almost everything we treat, I believe. Yeah. 
I, I definitely would agree with that. So, okay. So you're using this process of muscle testing to guide you through your morning preparation and also to get you ready or to get us ready to do a therapy session. It's you're asking questions. You're, you're asking if you can get a head start. You are looking for yeses and nos, but you're also looking for clues from, from Chinese medicine, from, um, all, all of the, <laughs> the huge tomes that you have on various, um, um, parts of the body and what's connected to what and, and the kinds of emotions that are, um, associated with dysfunction in that area. You're using muscle testing all the way through that. Is there anything else in your preparation for the day that we should cover before we talk about um, what we do to get ready jointly? Well, I, I would like to mention, don't underestimate, you know, if you have a feeling before you start with a client mm -hmm. that you need a, a candle or you need oh. incense, or yeah. if you have a feeling that you need to, you know, jump up and down, yes, those thoughts aren't random they're not random they're messages to help you prepare so you have this thought say oh it would feel good to stand up and jump up and down five yeah. or six times yeah and then you your next thought is oh i don't have time for that or i can't because we're sitting here face to face i'm doing therapy right i can't jump up and down you can you're the you're the therapist. You can do what you want, I'm right? The boss of me. Yeah, you're the boss of you. So it's your you're leading the session, mm -hmm. and maybe you're doing that for a very good reason that will help you or your client have a better session. Mm -hmm. So don't disregard. And we'll talk more about this uh, when we talk about interviewing clients. But don't disregard random thoughts random ideas, those are normally there to help you. So anything that comes to you is is a part of this mosaic of information you're trying to put together that's going to help you create a, a coherent whole. Right, right. The more the more of this work I do, the more I realize the things people are telling me are really not the most important things. A lot of times they're leaving out the things that they think aren't important, mm -hmm. but often those are actually the the bits of information that are the most mm -hmm. useful. And that's yes. true in my own mind. Yes. Because I used to think those random thoughts about me needing to jump up and down six times, I just thought that's weird. Mm -hmm. disregard that yeah move on trash trash mm -hmm. yeah it's not trash it's not trash it's gold uh-huh okay so you know what that reminds me is that morning pages help me to notice more of those bits that i might have once put in the rubbish bin i might have just disregarded but i'm catching my own bits uh, on paper, and it's it's causing me to be able to catch more of those little things that clients say. Nice. I think it does the same for me. Good. Yeah. yeah. Pages are very good. 
Yeah. And then when you and I get together to work with a client, mm -hmm. we do a lot of different things, but we normally figure out what to do through my muscle testing. Mm -hmm. And then as we work together more and more, you let your intuition jump in and guide us as well. Mm -hmm. You know, often when I'm getting ready to come over to your office and we're we're going to work, I am struck by something humorous on the way. And I'll think, oh, I can't wait to tell Tracy. I, I wonder if that's my version of, you know, intuition or, or muscle testing or, you know, this thing is coming to me and it's humor. And I think we need it before we get started. Oh, I think that's exactly right. And one day before we did a podcast, we wrote a limerick. Mm -hmm. So humor is very healing. Yeah. And, you know, you never know what it's going to be. Quite often we stand out in our bare feet on Mother Earth or we stand facing each other and we mirror mm -hmm. each other. Or we, we do things that really connect to us. Yeah. And... You know, more and more, I'm realizing that throughout a session, what I'm feeling is what my client is feeling. Yes. You texted me that the other day. Say say more about that. I think that's really profound. Well, like yesterday, I had a client who lived his life in a state of fight. And when people like that come in, you know, this client described themselves as a type A personality. And in the past, as a younger therapist, I would always think, well, I'm feeling my emotions in response to what the client's feeling. But now what I believe is true, more accurate, is I'm actually feeling their state of defense, whatever it is. Yeah. Fight, flight, or free, yeah. freeze. And conversely, I could be feeling their state of social engagement. Maybe they feel safe around me and they enjoy mm -hmm. my therapy. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, you you might just be feeling calm and grounded and like you're having fun. Yeah. And I, I love that. Mm -hmm. But it's like a roller coaster because like Peter Levine says, you have to feel to heal. Mm -hmm. And we talked a bit about this a couple of episodes ago, how... It's like a roller coaster because if the trauma happened and the trauma is associated with a state of fight, they need to feel that state of fight. Oh, yeah. But then it comes back down and things get calm again. Right. So the sessions we do are very suspenseful. Yeah, because you're you're right. They have to feel whatever that state was. At the time of the trauma or the incident, in order to, um, as we say in EMDR, load the train with the relevant emotion and the sensory detail in yeah. order to feel it. Yeah, I love that. Load the train. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons, um, you know, you've described getting sleepy. I think a lot of people who come to us for help have seen 500 other people. Mm -hmm. And many of them, I believe, don't think they'll ever get better. So they are feeling hopeless. They're sitting across from you feeling hopeless, discouraged, and then you notice what? Well, 
the uh, I seem to have more people who are in fight, and mm-hmm. I don't know why. You do, you do. I think in a way it's because of how I practice. People don't understand mm-hmm. why I use stones. They don't understand why I'm using mm-hmm. human voice sound healing mm-hmm. and burning incense. And, and the muscle testing, they go, what the hell is that? Right. So people who come to me for the first time, you know, I tell them that if you don't like the way I work, you can leave. I won't charge you. Just mm-hmm. try to make it quick. You know, <laughs> decide you don't like what I'm doing right away. Mm-hmm. Go away. But go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but I was interested in you describing this feeling of getting tired. It's the bane of my existence. The worst thing um, during my work week. Uh, during the work day and it doesn't happen at the same time every day although i will say around long about two o'clock in the afternoon i'm more likely to hit this so it may be involving my own metabolic state but um certain clients that i see every time i see them i will find myself falling into this quicksand Uh, i feel just the sleepy sluggish difficult uh you know i can't quite concentrate it's i'm fighting with myself it's like being a kid in church and trying not to fall asleep i'm i'm squeezing my fingers i'm <laughs> biting the inside of my mouth doing anything to stay awake so, so if my theory's right that therapists often are feeling their clients feelings then my guess is those clients are in a state biobehavioral state of freeze. And one of the components of freeze is shutting down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- th- this illustrates two things. Movement is important. It's an important part of any therapy practice. Mm-hmm. But also when we get together and we co-regulate mm-hmm. before a, a client comes in, then I believe what happens, and I, I, I've felt this pretty clearly in our sessions together, is the client has less capacity or strength to move us into their biobehavioral state. It's like two or more than one. So if we are in a state of social engagement and relaxed and calm and grounded uh, and awake, then we can help each other hold that where our client may fluctuate. Right. And it increases our gravity. So the client's biobehavioral state, in my opinion, this theory, their biobehavioral state would be gravitating toward our biobehavioral state. And if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, if, if you were, living in a village Mm -hmm. and something traumatic had happened to you, you wouldn't be talking to just one other person. There would probably be a group of people or at least two people that would come to you and try to help you work through your trauma. So no helper has to be overwhelmed. Right. Mm. And this profession should not be injuring the therapist and we we are yeah traditional 
psychotherapy or medicine or we're doing this one-on-one and it is taking a toll. Yeah, I believe that's true. It, it Amy Banks even said that the top-down pathology, pathologizing model is damaging to the client as well. Mm-hmm. So I love this co-therapy idea and I love that we're in the process of putting together workshops to hopefully teach others how to do this work safely and playfully Mm -hmm. and enjoyably. Safely, playfully, and enjoyably. I love that. So, so back to our listener, Mary and her question, Um, Mary, um, you may not be working with a co-therapist. So, and a lot of our listeners out there are probably not working with a co-therapist but maybe something we've said today can um, spark ideas for you about how you can prepare, how you can start your day, how you can start your therapy day. And perhaps there's someone in your work environment that you trust and feel safe with that you, you could co-regulate with you. Maybe you could do some of these exercises with um, before you get started um, like grounding, earthing. Um, so there's a lot here. We'll probably be back to revisit some of these ideas in future episodes. So much to say about preparation. Um, but in the meantime, write to us, bring us your questions and thoughts, reconceive therapy at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.